and welcome to Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing at 1 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday morning. Joining me from down the street here in Boston, he was with me when uh, we were at the 76ers. Uh, really impressive and mildly stunning victory over the Boston Celtics on Tuesday night to go ahead 3-2 in the series. It's Jamal Collier. What's going on, Jamal? Doesn't even feel like 1 a.m., Brian. Yeah, well, I had an interesting day. I got up in uh, I got up in New York City at five thirty, flew to Boston. I did TV in New York for four hours, and flew to Boston at three o'clock. And now it's one a.m. So we're working on uh, 2020, 19 Now we're day at this point. Anyway, Will you joining be back us from, for five a.m. Uh, in New York again. <laughs> my flight, no, my flight to uh, Philly is at seven thirty. So it should be interesting. Um, joining us from San Francisco, California our Lakers writer and analyst is Dave McMenamin. Hello, Dave. Hey, Brian. What a, what a shining example of work ethic you are setting for all of us. <laughs> yeah. He's being condescending. Dave is one of the hardest workers we have as well. Um, but um, not condescending. I'm not condescending. I'm uh, teasing. That's fair. You always are yeah. teasing someone. We're on the, this is like a, we're on a deadline right now and this is an unusual deadline. <laughs> Dave only has like 50 minutes left before his computer automatically um, Re- does an update. Yes. 52 we minutes may have, and 12 seconds. We may have like and 46 what, before I just fall asleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what would happen if this was a game night, Dave? Um, what would happen well, if, the, if the Lakers the were playing tonight? What would you with do? it being a game night, like, okay, or the difference, I would say, between this activity we are involved in and a game night, game night, I allow it to restart and we go 10 minutes and I resume whatever the work I'm doing. I see. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, we're, we're going we're gonna to stay to that clock for various reasons. Um, I think we should start with the game that Jamal and I were at tonight um, where the 76ers pretty much controlled this game for most of the way and certainly for the whole second half. And the thing about it, guys, is I was preparing myself for potentially a transcendent moment because when you get into these series where it's 2-2 game five, that's when sometimes you see guys do like super heroic special stuff. Um, and, you know, I, there were many uh, candidates here, you know, uh, Harden, James Harden, had a couple of 40-point games, was brilliant down the stretch of game four. Uh, Joel Embiid had been playing better. He looked like he'd been getting stronger, although he ran out of gas at the end of game three. But, you know, a month ago, six weeks ago, I realized when his knee was healthier, but six weeks ago he scored 50 points here in, in, a, in a performance that probably, you know, iced his MVP that he got last week. Um, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, you know, either of them could have come through with a brilliant performance. It wouldn't have surprised me. And the way the game went, Jamal, was Embiid played good. Good. He had 33 points. That's good. Uh, That's also what he averages. And he shot 10 of 23, you know, not so good. Like he had good moments. Like he's a really good player. He's the MVP, but he had basically an average game. I guess if you want to account for playoff pressure, maybe it was a tick above average for him. Uh, James Harden had a very nice floor game made a lot of good decisions, um, applied pressure. Uh, he took eight shots. Okay. He had 17 points. Wow. He took eight shots. Uh, it was his third best game over the last week. <laughs> um, now Tyrese Maxey played his best game of the playoffs, had 30 points. Um, definitely a, a difference maker, but it, it wasn't like that performance was like, Oh my God, thank yeah. God they had Maxey. Um, they just flat out beat Boston, Jamal, and you've been covering the Celtics in this round, and this is not what I expected. I wouldn't have stunned me if you, if you told me Philly won, but I didn't expect it to go this way. You know, it's it's like a, a wise philosopher, you know, once said, "You can't play with your meat." And <laughs> the Celtics. <laughs> oh, I feel like well, you can. The but... Celtics. Oh, Brian. <laughs> I mean, if you're Boston, though, th- this was just a, a, a you write a stunning kind of just no show from them in, in this game. And, you know, they kind of chalked it up to just a bad game. They didn't shoot well, you know, Philly's defense. I thought MB, you're right, was, was, he was good. He was, was a good player. But it, uh, defensively, you probably really felt him more in this game than you did in other, other uh, games this series. But 
Uh, man, if you're Boston, though, you, you got to look at this and say you lose that game one without Joel on the floor and have some late game execution fumbles. Obviously, game four and the way that that went down and, and the two chances you had to win the game and not getting a shot off in overtime. And you blow both those chances, you lose these winnable games, and now you kind of set yourself up for having a dud like this, and now you're on the kind of the brink of elimination. I think that that is where if I'm Boston or a fan of the team sort of kicking yourself just to say, like, wow, this one bad night really kind of gets magnified when you just have been fumbling winnable games really all postseason, and especially in this series. Dave, you're from Philly. Um, the Sixers haven't been to the conference finals since 2001. Iverson's MVP year. They reached the uh, reached the finals that year against the Lakers. They've been there once since 85. So this is crazy. Big, big moment here for the Sixers. It's been a long time since. And it's maybe the best team best position team maybe because i don't know the team that lost to Kawhi with the buzzer beater in game seven yeah. bounces four times on the rim with jimmy butler who's been the best player in this year's postseason and obviously led the heat to a finals appearance since then i'm not ready to put them above them even though that team has ben simmons and we know where ben simmons is right now but this is a team in an NBA season where there's no clear-cut best team that is trending in the right direction, has the MVP, has a former MVP in James Harden, who clearly seems like he has something to prove here, and the right mix of role players where Harden takes a discount, you get to bring in a guy like P.J. Tucker, Daniel House Jr. with a, a nice game tonight. In, in a big <laughs> it was moment. a Lonnie Walker esque performance uh, from Daniel Whoa. House. A, a, a stunning. We cannot well, just, cast it. I mean, Lonnie Walker needs to breathe a little bit with that wonderful <laughs> game four. We can't ready. We already can't have someone else well, take his headline. As far as shock value, though, right? A game you didn't see coming. I, I think uh, I, I'll put it. On, I'll put it on the same level. I think we talk about these two guys against the a dynasty. Week. Come on, man. <laughs> Well, okay, it wasn't on the same level, but it was the same concept. An unexpected guy who was out of the rotation stepped in and played really, really well. Ten points uh, in 15 minutes, five rebounds. But this Sixers team is setting the city on fire. I literally landed in San Francisco like 5.15, met some family friends for dinner at 6. I was watching the game on my phone, had my phone in my pocket for – 20 minutes or so while I was a active dinner guest had 65 texts, 60 oh my texts from family and friends back in Philly that were out of their mind that the Boston Celtics just lost game five at home. And now the pathway is open for the Sixers to be in the Eastern conference finals against either the fifth seated Knicks or the eighth seated Miami heat. They're already ready to you know, have broad street. Have a well, parade. Well, I'm just going to say, uh, now I'm not giving them another win just yet, just to be clear. Um, but in case you don't realize it, and I'm sure all of Philly does, the Sixers have home court if they advance the rest of the way. Um, they have the best record. If they limit the two best teams with the best records left are Boston and Philly in that order. So after not having home court in this round, which they've now got because they win game six. They, they at home, they win. Um, they basically have home court the rest of the way here because they have home court in this round now. And then they would have it in the conference finals if they advance. And then in the finals, no matter who comes out of the West, they would have it. So that's one thing. Um, one of the things I think that was happening tonight for Celtics fans was that they were recalling last year in the same round, um, in the same uh, spot, game five at home. They played in Milwaukee. It was 2-2. And they had a, in that game, they had a big lead. I can't remember, 14, 18-point lead. And Giannis kind of walked him down, had 40, something like 44 or something like yeah. that. And Drew Holiday made two great defensive plays right at the end of the game. And um, 3-2, and I remember, I think Jamal, we were on the same flight. Uh, or maybe not. we, I remember a bunch of us were on the same flight and we landed early the next morning in Milwaukee and they, and the P 
people had already had all already had it was before noon and people already had bucks and six signs but, all yeah. out over this there and um uh then jason tatum dropped 46 uh i would say the best game i've ever seen him play i don't know if he'd say it's his best game but i think it's his best game and they win and the concept of maybe the the Celtics needing seven games because you know this team they lose home games in the playoffs they just do it's something that they've done a lot in the last two years they probably like hey listen you know it's no big deal we know that we kick games sometimes because our team has focus issues you know they won two game sevens in the Eastern playoffs last year including one on the road in Miami and so I could see the Celtics fans going you know it's a disappointing and now we have no margin for error but that's when the Celtics play their best and that's a reasonable thing to say and I have to acknowledge that it could go that way because the Celtics have already or the Celtics have already won this series uh, in this series they already won once in Philly but I'm just going to say that there's a significant difference between this year's Celtics team and last year's Celtics team even though it's 90% of the same personnel um, this year's Celtics team, and it was completely on display tonight, is just so heavily dependent on the three-pointer. That is what Joe Mazzulla has brought to this team. He has talked throughout the year uh, about math and about how vital three-point shooting is and getting up more than your opponent and making more and all that stuff. And it's served them very well many times. But they are heavily dependent on it, way more heavily dependent on it than last year's team was. And so like this game, they were poor from three-point range. They, uh, I think when they pulled all the starters, they were 9 of 33. They threw in, uh, I think, three three-pointers at the end that actually boosted their um, their percentage to like 32%, but they were down like 25%, 26% before that happened. And Bontemps has been tracking the stat all year because he covers the um the Celtics quite a bit. They're 34 and 2 when they shoot 40% or better from 3. Basically untouchable because they shoot a huge high volume and um that's not that surprising although 34 and 2 is a pretty awesome number. Um yeah. they're 29 and 28 when they shoot under 40%. So they're an average team when they do that and that's their bellwether. Last year it was the 16 turnover number when they had less than 16 turnovers they were 13 and 2 in the playoffs when they had more I think they were 500 or worse um and so this is not the same team and, and one of the things that's going on here is that last year you know Ime Udoka was a defensive first coach um and the Celtics had the number two defense amongst all the teams in the playoffs last year just behind Milwaukee and frankly I'll give them sort of de facto number one because Milwaukee got sent home and they and the Celtics had to keep defending for another two rounds okay and Milwaukee played the Bulls in the first round which you know those numbers out fair point <laughs> right now and I, I don't know if the numbers have updated from this denver um game but it was i was looking before the pod um they're 10th in defense in the playoffs they do have the number wow. one offense okay the number one offense but they're 10th in defense um and so like you when you what? ask joe missoula i don't know if you you know i'm just getting to know joe missoula you know being at his press conferences and stuff but the thing about it is, Jamal, when you ask Joe Mazzula questions about defense, he, he a lot of times answers offensively. So for, for example, in tonight's game, the um, the Sixers posted up uh, and beat a lot. Um, they've had some struggles getting it to him on the on the elbows. The six, the uh, Celtics have denied it a little bit. So they, they posted him up more, and it was effective. Joel got the ball in positions where he was in solo coverage, and he got to the line 11 times. And um, that's how he can shoot 10 of 23 and still score 33 points because he was at the line 11 times. And I think he made 10 of them. And he goes, yeah, that's what happens when you, um, you know, can't play transition in transition more. So that's what happens when we're not scoring, you know, or something like that. And I was like, wow, that was an offensive answer to a defensive question. So, I mean, that's that's just uh, let me interrupt just one brief second. Like, that's totally fair and within bounds to make that point the the lakers are right now and maybe we'll talk about lakers this part of when we're oh we done. will it depends on if we have time if the, yeah, if the we, clock we're doesn't at, strike. Uh, 39 minutes 22 seconds oh. but the lakers uh recognize when they play the warriors that they don't keep pressure offensively on them that yeah they are going to allow the warriors to get into their flow offensively on the other end so i mean you have to give mozilla at least that that he's not talking out of his backside to make no, the I agree. I'm just saying the guy focuses offense first and the team think, plays offense first. 
Nothing I think what's, that, what's, what's crazy about the Celtics, though, is we see these stretches where they do feel like the, the same defensive team, where they have, a, a like, you know, that fourth quarter against Embiid, and they ended up losing that game against, uh, you know, game four, but that fourth quarter against Embiid as they were making the comeback in the second half in general uh, of game four, I felt like it was because they just smothered Philly on, on defense, and that was sort of leading to everything that they got on offense. So they had these, like, this. it's obviously the sort of frustrating and kind of complex thing about Boston, right, is that they had the moments where it does look like the team of last year, just everything kind of comes yeah. together. Well, they, and They've got good defenders, man. They, they had three guys. Yeah. They had three guys get all defensive votes. Um, uh, Jalen or Derek White made the all defense second team. Marcus Smart, who was last year's defensive player of the year, he just missed second team. And um, Jalen Brown got votes. I don't think Robert Williams or Al Horford got votes, but they're both very good defensively. But like, here's yeah. what I mean, Dave. So last year when the Celtics went to the finals, yeah. Ime Udoka would regularly play Robert Williams and Al Horford together. Um, yeah. And um, uh, so Al Horford would play on the ball defense, usually with the bigs and Robert Williams would play um, sort of center field. He would, have the weakest defender and he would just cheat a weakest offensive player would cheat off him and he yeah, would I'm sure and he was awesome and the guy's an absolute devastating weak side help defender especially just pinning shots off the rim off the backboard he doesn't play them together um because he prefers to have an offensive based team out there he wants to have an extra perimeter player a lot of times it's malcolm brogdon and who's been great six man of the year and he's been really good in the series um he doesn't play grant williams that much and maybe that's you know, a function of how Grant Williams has played. But last year, he Grant Williams played 30 minutes a game in the playoffs because he was a really, he was very strong and they would put him against a whole bunch of different defensive players. Now he plays, he averages 14 minutes in the playoffs and I don't think he even played that tonight. And if he did, it was just there in because uh, he was out there in garbage time. Yeah, um, it, it is funny, like thinking about, you said the Milwaukee series and in general watching the, the way that Williams were so, and, and Robert was, was hurt through some of those, but, um, you know, they were so impactful. For you're right for that team last year in their playoff run and, and those guys like Rob Williams, I guess I'm looking at the minutes now. I, I didn't even feel he probably played some some garbage time minutes that got this number up as high as it did. But um I I'd also want to real quick just also shout out the Sixers and, and, and say that Oh like, yeah, I, I don't they, mean to I was just I don't mean to yeah. I'm just reacting to the idea that everything's gonna be just repeated from last year, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I I just kind of want to go back to the point earlier because I also, you know, am just kind of stunned at just that no show by the Celtics, but you know, give the Sixers the the credit just in like the this series. You're right that they're playing with something to prove, and we've seen this team, this these versions of these team. Like a lot of the games that the Sixers would normally lose, right? The game one without Joel, they just have no shot, right? If they they start losing that game four, they blow the lead. All of a sudden, you just could see the wheels spin off, and they would fumble that game down the stretch. Um, you know, even a game like tonight coming in on the road. Whatever, like I, I think it's been impressive to see the Sixers, you know, show up and make this a a, a real series, and especially early on coming into it when Embiid's status was so questionable, when Harden struggles in two of the first three games and such. You could see quickly how this could have gotten away from them and and become a, a quick series, and we sort of be doing this pod talking about what the Sixers offseason and future <laughs> and outlook look like, right? <laughs> oh, it's a real series. It's a real series. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> But I just think the Sixers have, have, have you know, this is, you're right, it's their best team and, and and feels like their best shot kind of maybe save that Jimmy team, really. And, like, um, you know, I think that, uh, I'm impressed that they've sort of met the moment here and, uh, you know, really, you know, put themselves on, on the brink of yeah. a chance they to go did, to the finals. I don't want to, Dave, I don't want to make it sound like the Sixers didn't play well tonight. They very, you know, they very much did. Tobias Harris had his best game of the series. He was 16-11. I mentioned Max. He had 30. He was has his and, best game of the series. And they had him in a sharpshooter uh, going back to the regular season. He had like, I think he averaged like 10 points a game against the Celtics in the season. They just basically the entire way had been locking him down for him to finally break out, I'm sure. You're talking you about Max. Max, yeah, yeah. Ma- Max yeah. Had, had the best game of his life. The best game in the biggest moment of his life. You know, he had a good game when they – Forced to game seven against Atlanta uh, a couple of years ago. Ultimately, they, they lost game seven, but they won game six in Atlanta. And he was younger at that point by a couple of years and, and had somewhere around 20. And it was, okay, that's that's a big time moment for this kid. But now that he's established himself and he has to do that 
for them to succeed. That's a big well, moment. Yeah, the big thing for him was he hit six threes in this game. Um, you know, you typically think of Maxi is his his ability in transition, where he's just so fast that he kills the other team in transition. And he did that a lot. Um, but he, the, the way he won this game was three pointers, and a couple of them happened uh, when Boston was trying to organize a run. Because one thing that did happen here, Jason Tatum for the second straight time got off to a really bad start. He was zero of eight starting off game four. I think he was 0 of six starting off this game, but he Tatum tried to force the action in this game. Um, and he really got to the foul line. I think he ended up with 36. Um, yeah, it was kind of 27 though. Yeah. Inefficient. Although he did get to the foul line a lot. And I will just say that one of the issues <clears throat> that this, that happened also in game one, I don't think it's a great idea that, um, Tatum takes 27 shots and Jalen Brown takes 16. Jalen Brown, nine is 16. I think that needs to be closer. Um, Jalen Brown has certain matchup advantages against the Sixers. He's had them the whole series, but Tatum, I think, has been a little bit dominant on the ball. Like I said, they're number one in the in the in the um in the playoffs in offense. I mean, offense is not really their problem. Of course, their three-point shot was off tonight. Yeah, but it's weird um, because Jalen gets off to it feels like every first quarter he's six of seven, five of seven, and you, you see it, and it's like, oh, man, like they really don't have an answer for Jalen, and then they just lose him the rest of the game. I think, again, going back to that game four, I think he had three shots in the fourth quarter in overtime. And for all the sort of – you're right, offensively they have been solid, and their late-game execution has obviously been under fire, but I still am looking at – you. Know, they got to find him down the stretch. they got to sort of like find ways in, to keep him engaged throughout the, the entire game yeah, because it that's is true. just – really weird that he sort of starts off usually hot and he's you know spent a lot of time guarding hard and and has been in some foul trouble of a couple of these games as well but uh they again just lose Jalen halfway through the through these games here and it it uh you know seems like something that they need to adjust and, and fix yeah and Al Horford also was terrible in this game 0 of yeah. 7 from three and he you know Embiid kind of let him go they didn't punish Embiid for um letting Horford you know, because Embiid stuck around the paint. He had four blocks. It, it did, and then the, here's the thing: when you take Al Horford out and bring Robert Williams in, it's a it's a green light for um, Embiid to just stick by the rim because not have to worry about Robert Williams. So, um, anyway, this is a series that we've been what we've been waiting to see all year long, and the 76ers, who lost three of the four games in the regular season, probably should have lost if not both game one and game four, certainly one of game one and game four. And yet they're in control. And that is remarkable. Dave, I, I really want to talk about Lakers Warriors. I don't want to overlook Suns Nuggets. I, I didn't get to see much of this game because uh, Jamal and I were working. From what I can see, Durant and Booker stopped shooting lights out <laughs> because they can't shoot lights out forever. And Booker actually went only eight of 19 after he was shooting 70%. And yeah, Grant, Durant, Grant Hill on the broadcast was marveling about the way they collectively, him and Spiro Dias were talking about the 28 points. I, th- I think he ended up with 28 for Booker, almost dismissing it. Like Booker only comes up with 28 tonight. I know. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, playoff game. I, I swear, like I felt Embiid played an average game by his standards tonight. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm, and he said after the game, he said he didn't play well. I mean, he is self-deprecating like that, but when you set the standard, I mean, that's the standard. I, I kind of get it, but Jokic had a gigantic triple double and they look like they got good contributions from their bench, especially Bruce Brown, who had arguably maybe the game of his life in this two, two situation. He had 25 off the bench, Dave. He also, uh, you know, the game was kind of out of hand at this point, but smart, agitator type of move monty williams has half his team for a huddle like kind of on the court if the huddle's on the court that's a place where a player who's checked into the game is allowed to be so bruce brown comes over and kind of does the peeking his head over see what's going on on the clipboard little forearm shiver from kevin durant Jokic comes over, uh, a further forearm shiver from Kevin Durant. Jokic totally sells it this time. <laughs> yeah, and he Kevin, was he turned into Matt Ishbia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And Kevin Durant gets teed up. That's all caused by Bruce Brown. At that point, I, I the game was something like 15, you know, I, I yeah. want to say. But that certainly didn't help the momentum 
and I'm not trying to say that Bruce Brown is some hero from this moment. That's the reason why the Nuggets won, but a little savvy gamesmanship from him on top of having a strong game. But the type of stuff that Jokic does, and I'm not saying anything everyone hasn't heard before, but there was a play, a secondary break in, I think, the third quarter where Porter throws it ahead to KCP. KCP catches it. The throw is too high on the right wing. And so KCP makes a nice play just grabbing it, not allowing it to go out of bounds, and throws a really awkward bounce pass to Jokic in the lane. Jokic catches it in traffic while the defender's kind of closing in on his space and just finds a way to, like, flip it up and, in, you know, like that should have been a turnover. That should have been an offensive foul. No. It's a score, and it keeps the Nuggets allowing their momentum to continue. <laughs> and it's not the type of thing you can put in the scouting report. Like, that's the type of feel that this guy brings to the game, and that's why so long as the Nuggets are alive in this postseason, whatever team has to face them will have a hard time with them. He plays the game like he's playing on a, with a mini ball and a mini hoop. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. I'm really just fasc- fascinated by the series and like uh, you're right on that way that Jokic just like some of the stuff that he was doing in the regular season. I, I was one that was skeptical coming into the playoffs that he'd be able to do that or have that same success passing some of these guys open. And ultimately, I was like, we're going to need you to take, you know, you need your best player to take those shots. And he's also done that, right? Like <laughs> stepped up and, and put the big scoring performances when he's needed, been able to sort of generate looks for everybody. I mean, the Nuggets have have, have impressed me uh, and shocked me kind of in a way that I, I, I thought that they didn't didn't see them sort of playing at this level. But you're right, man. And Jokic is also just like, he's so tough, like a, a tough or a guy who's obviously not in a traditional defensive center in that way. Like he has a toughness about him as well in the way he plays and on the court that I think is also kind of really stood out to me at the playoffs that, yeah, it's it's, it's a fun series. I, I expect the, the, the Suns are going to still probably try to are gonna still have a game at least where they'll hit some shots. I guess it'd be game six because <laughs> they don't have any, they're going to do it now. But yeah, well, everybody I think was was saying, well, can Booker take it even to another level? You know, he's been scoring in the 40s. Can he have 50? You know, can he could could Durant, you know, get red hot? And you know, could they st- sort of steal one with a great performance? And that didn't happen. And Jokic had a very good performance, and that was good enough. So, uh, driver's seat for Denver there. Um, Dave, uh, last night you've covered a ton, a ton of high value playoff games. Last night was a pretty significant wild situation with the Lakers, you know, just pouring it all out to get that three, one lead. I assume that it was a pretty interesting evening in uh, crypto.com. What you walk away from it. And obviously we gave a little bit of a teaser on the Lonnie Walker night and that I love games like that. And it's not that I'm tired of seeing the stars be stars because that is what is so remarkable. That's what makes the NBA to the, weekend warrior basketball player that I am not accessible because these guys are so, so good. But then you see someone that has a very real kind of human drama playing out comes to the Lakers, Lonnie Walker on a mid-level deal 
after performing kind of well for Sacramento, it was for San Antonio's first four years, uh, and then kind of being dropped off of the curb, start to resurrect his career, could maybe see some big money coming his way. The Lakers completely overhauled their roster. He's at the end of the bench. And biggest moment of the season, he gets the call up and just is nails. Uh, and like the moment, the finally they go ahead in the final two minutes, a pull-up jumper on Steph Curry, the two-time MVP, the four-time champ. Just storybook stuff there. But beyond that, LeBron James, his game and where he's at right now continues to be dissected, whether he's still the LeBron James of the past. They're down seven going to the fourth quarter. In a minute and a half, through his sheer brilliance, he closes the gap. Perfect pocket pass to Lonnie for a three. The type of pass where you know when you're catching it, you're supposed to shoot it. And, oh, I'm Lonnie Walker. I recognize perhaps the greatest player of all time is giving me that confidence with this pass that he wants me to shoot it, so he makes it. Then LeBron runner using his size and angles that that doesn't have the explosiveness they used to have. Then he scores next possession, you know, kind of drives baseline ball fake ducks under nice pass in traffic. Anthony Davis, he turns around and scores seven Oh run minute and a half tied game energy and crypto.com arena is off the charts. And now you're playing not even even because now you're the crowd behind you for the final 10 and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. Those moments, he still can identify and dominate. And this Lakers team has now won 15 of their last 22 games. They're on a major tear, and no one in the league should want to face them. He, uh, What I like about, uh, like you said, LeBron, and, and he obviously doesn't have it you know, in the totality like he had it years ago, but... I feel like he looks like a guy who understands that he's got just a chance for real to go to the finals here. And you're right. There's those moments, those, those times where he can imprint a game, a quarter, a run or whatever it is. And uh, it's really fun to watch. And it's basically fun to watch him have a supporting cast. This good Rui, you know, winning him a game in the first round, Lonnie Walker having a big game. D'Lo Russell has been way better in this series than I thought that he had any chance of being. Uh, and not to mention, obviously, Anthony Davis playing this way. And, and like after Bron just has dragged so many mid teams <laughs> to the finals or the playoff runs right through the years, uh, or at least less talented teams through the years. It's nice to see in this, this finally, we, I think people always talk about, obviously, like this will be the stage of his career where other guys would support him. And it feels like the Lakers have found that mix of it where they've got a cast and these guys are all stepping up at different times to really support what LeBron can give you at this time, and he still can give you that kind of extra gear when when it's when it's necessary. I'm a certified stick in the mud. I hear a coach talk all about offense, and I wonder about it. You know, like with Missoula, um, mm-hmm. but he's that's where the game is. You know, I like to I I don't say I like to see. I'd rather see offensive based game, just to be clear. But like, I believe you have to win at the highest level with defense, and the Lakers yeah. defend. Lakers defend Anthony Davis just gives teams such problems defensively. And he, I mean, like the entire war, one minute, the entire Warriors game plan, but like the big part of the Warriors game plan is just let's try to move Anthony Davis so that we can have a chance because he is so all encompassing. And so, and that's what they did after the trade. They defended. And yeah. they have different guys that they can put in different roles. They move Jared Vanderbilt all around. Okay. Some nights he has a big role. Sometimes he doesn't. Austin Reeves is, you know, ability, his ability to do different things at different times. Like they are, they his are ability a, or his hillbility. <laughs> I, you know, I, I began to believe in this Lakers team, you know, about mid March that they could do something. And you guys know that I am not prone to Lakers love. I banned Lakers talk on this podcast a year ago because I felt that it wasn't worth talking about them um, with where they were. And I clearly, if you've listened to this pod, did not ban Lakers talk this year because I was very interested in what they become. So I I am not, first off, this series is not over. I want to be clear about that. Um, I agree with for, that. But I am not stunned that the Lakers are doing this. I'm not even really surprised. 
I might be, I might think that they probably, that they might not be able to get through Denver if that's the series that happens. You're going to pick Denver. You're going to pick Denver. I don't pick anybody. I don't pick anybody. Oh, that was, that was close to a pick. I just hedge around the idea. Listen, man, I can say that I can say that I think the Celtics are a more talented team than the Sixers. I can make that fair assessment and then say, but I don't know how the series is going to go. I think Denver might have a little bit more than the Lakers, but I you think Denver very... inspires fear in the Lakers locker room. No, nobody. The Lakers aren't afraid of anybody. Of course there not. There you go. There you go. What? Yeah, so, I... but I feel like a lot of people are giving the Warriors. I ended the Warriors, right? Like I also give them a real chance of coming back, but almost more being down three one. Outside of it, just it would be hilarious <laughs> if they came back from three. It would be right. Three one jokes, and <laughs> I think that be. like for that reason. I at least want this to get to a seven. Uh, but, uh, what, but you know, the, the Warriors, I feel like, man, they've been telling us all season to be kind of just the, who they are. And it's such a, a feels like a less good version, the less, you know, than the peak version of them. And, and Steph is still playing at, at that level and playing at, at uh, Steph's still awesome. And the rest of these guys have sort of just taken a step back. And, it, you know, it's been whatever, eight years, nine years that they've been on a run here. And, you know, I don't know that would be totally stunned if they did it, but man, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like the Lakers are going to wrap this up. I guess that's a prediction though, Brian. I, I don't know. Wait, you, wait, you think they're going to win in game five? Uh, maybe six. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Warriors will have one more, more, more thing, but I do think the Lakers are going to one of these next two games. They'll know that we, we this can't go to seven. Yeah, I just I I'm I'm not reacting to the Lakers talent when I think that the Warriors are not done. I'm worrying yeah. I'm reacting to the Warriors talent. Oh no no no. On the Warriors Fair. front, I'm totally with you, Brian. You were talking yeah. the reason yeah. I interjected was Denver. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Denver's really good. <laughs> Lakers are gonna get to the Western Conference Finals and lose to Denver. Well, I mean I th- Denver's pre- Denver's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, Jokic is a real it was a real load. The thing that Denver has well, the thing that Denver has is they have a lot of different, they have, they have good depth and they have good size. And yeah, I think that AD will still be a problem for them. I, I see people saying, well, you know, Denver has, you know, more, you know, they're, they've got more size than uh, because Jokic is, you know, more, more of a, of a impediment than, you know, Sacramento or Golden State has. And I'm like, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I think AD is still in position to have great dominating games, but I think Denver. Go watch got the twenty twenty Western Conference Finals. If AD played like that every year, he'd have four titles. <laughs> I mean, that's um, who he's playing right now, though. That's my point. He's not as yeah. playing as he's not playing as offensively he's, as well he, as he did back uh, then. Defensively, he's playing better. Defensively, he's oh, just uh, absolutely amazing right now. You guys are also counting that Devin Booker's been. The best player in the playoffs decided Jimmy Butler. Are we just putting the Suns that they got no shot here of uh, still winning a series? Well, I wouldn't say no shot. I just think it's a big ass. My thing on the Suns is I'm very interested in their short-term future because I think these two guys are great fits for each other. There's games. And I think they're still very much filling each other out. Durant seems like he's not quite comfortable about where his shots are going to come from or, whether or yeah. not he needs, because one of the things they're having an issue with is not getting up enough three pointers. They're losing the math game, and so I think Dur- he didn't tonight. He'd be like, he took like three tonight, and he didn't make any. But I think Durant is playing a little bit outside of his comfort zone, trying to make it work. They're going to need to retrofit the roster and bring in players. I, if you're a free agent, I mean, they don't have a lot of money, but if you're a free agent that can have options as opposed to, you know, you know, you're going to get the same contract from a, a bunch of different places. I don't know why you wouldn't seriously consider Phoenix this offseason. I I don't know why you wouldn't watch the way Booker and 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 Devin, um, uh, Booker and Durant play together and be like, I want to go be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I think if you're a Suns fan, you should be really excited about the next season to two seasons. And you know, if you take the loss in this round, you know it's disappointing, but I wouldn't let it ruin my life. Um, yeah. I would be really excited about what they have. That's what I see in Phoenix. But, you know, I, I admit, I mean, Booker could score 47 again. He's had two 47-point games in the last, like, two weeks. Why couldn't he do it again? Of course. Um, but so I think t- Denver Tim, is very formidable. Tim McMahon's reporting uh, that yeah. Chris Paul basically saying he's trying to play game six, which no one the competitor really is. Not groundbreaking news, but 
how do we feel about that? Is is that is that a help to Phoenix at this point, considering everything on the line there? If he's not hundred percent, I mean, here's the thing about Chris Paul. I've I've been on Get Up this week. I'm sorry, a first take this week with Stephen A. And he's been like talking about how he thinks that the Suns are better without Chris Paul. And I just disagree. I just disagree because they, you know, for no other reason, they just don't have that many players other than yeah. Durant and Booker who are playmakers who can do stuff. I just think that, you know, even if he's a diminished capacity, he's a, he's a value add. Well, see, that was going to be my, my, like if, if it's Chris Paul, not at hundred percent or a limited Chris Paul, then I don't love it. But, you know, if he can, if he can give you something and, and if you sort of, but if you're going to put Chris Paul in there and, and you're going to play him, I would say probably won't throw him back to the 40 minutes he was playing before, but I don't know. I don't know if I would be eager to disrupt that rhythm. If, if I didn't know Chris Paul could be close to a hundred percent, I would give him the, they've only got two players in rhythm. <laughs> you know? Fair, but I don't want to mess up Booker's so, rhythm right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Terrence Ross made a couple shots tonight. About time. Uh, yeah. Okay, all right. But they play the, they play in, you're right. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> listen, I, I know it's a shoulder is vastly different than a groin, but in 2021, Chris Paul couldn't lift his arm above his shoulder in the first round against the Lakers, gutted it out, and still made plays. So I think I'm with you, Brian. I don't I, want him out there. I'll take whatever you can give me. I'll trust that he, being a team guy, will – do whatever he can to help the team. And if he feels like he can't help the team, because that was the deal that Monty and him spoke about in the 2021 first round was they had an agreement. We look at one another and we both know that you're not helping the team. You got to come out more hoop collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists, who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So before your computer resets or uh, updates, eleven minutes and forty-seven seconds. I just want to—I want to get your opinion of how you think this Lakers series will play out from now on, Lakers Warriors. I have the utmost respect for Chris Paul, uh, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, uh, <laughs> wow, and Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and I just no way I see him losing this game in Game Six. So that's my Game wow. Five. Wow, my. No way, Steph we're, Curry. It's very late, and we're working a lot. Home, there you go. So you give Game Five of the Warriors, and then the Lakers better take care of home in Game Six, where they have not lost a crypto between the play-in, the first round, and the second round thus far. And I think they do win in six. That sounds reasonable to me. I don't know how you feel about it, Jamal. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I think that that again, the Lakers, LeBron, AD, those guys will know that's the game. That they can you can't go, you can't take that. Let that series get back to seven, let through one lead stuff start talking. It, six is going to be their game to sort of sell out for it. Again, I, I do think the Warriors are going to have one more shot to sell out for game five. And I think Steph will do something incredible. Steph will probably keep doing something incredible. I think I can, I can bet on that. Yeah. I would just say that Clay has not played well on balance in this series. He played great in game two when he had eight of 11 yeah. threes. How'd you, how'd you like that side selection? <laughs> Bro, I did not like it. <laughs> I can send you a link if you really want to know. I, yeah, listeners, I just, if you've not seen a tape, you got to go. I just couldn't believe how brain dead the Warriors went as a collective. Yeah. Well, them, and the, them and the Celtics are the two most experienced teams. Probably, um, I mean, yeah, LeBron, I guess. You know, I, I know, but the Celtics. Total. Yeah, but the but Celtics both of them have been playing. But both of them are just playing silly down the stretch. Well, the Celtics are kind of known for playing silly down the stretch. They lose their focus. And, that's and that's, that, is their, that is their gimmick. 
you know, that's one of the things that happens to them. They, they just keep, I mean, the last two years, I think they've lost like five or six home playoff games. I mean, it's, it's hard to lose that many playoff that many. games. Um, yeah. But it's you're surprised you're surprised when the warriors okay look everybody can make a mental error i mean it's basketball but the fact that they made a bunch in a row now jj reddick got on me today in on um first take where he was talking about the play sort of the warriors last possession where they tried to run the play into the corner the hammer action which dave i remember when the Cavs started running it you wrote a big story about hammer action which is named after darvin ham george carl would run it in Milwaukee with Darvin Ham and named it after him because of Ham's ability to kind of extend the baseline with this athleticism and throw a baseline pass, even if half his body was out of bounds, have the strength uh, to be able to to still find a shooter in the corner. Right. The concept is there's other actions that happen, a couple other different screens, but the concept is that a guy gets almost out of bounds on the baseline. And then, so he creates an angle that's all the pass is almost impossible to defend. And the ball gets to the corner with a guy who's been freed up by a screen and he's a catch and shoot shot in the corner. I, in my, once I was listing off the mental mistakes, I thought that the Warriors made, I thought Draymond made a mistake about getting into the air on that play. That's a fundamental of basketball. Don't leave, leave your feet. This is what I say. This is what I, okay. Thank you, Dave. This is what I say. You don't leave your feet, especially in that, in that moment. Yeah. And um, JJ said, otherwise JJ said, no, when you run hammer action, you are, you are taught to jump that specific action. I'm not dismissing his point there, but the, the fundamental beats the action. There's a reason why you don't save the ball under your own basket. Like that's a fundamental rule of of, of basketball because you can get deflected. And then there's a bucket for the team. Same thing. You leave your feet like Kobe Bryant. I covered him for six years. He's top 10 player of all time. I loved covering him incessantly would leave his feet before making his decision. It would lead to turnovers, right? Because you are in a position of weakness. Well, anyway, it didn't work. It didn't work out. Um, <laughs> and there's the casual point from LeBron to AD like, no, you go there. And then yeah. turnover came over. I mean, we talk about LeBron's ability to think the game. He sniffed out the play. And they blocked clay. And I mean, look, Dave, you and I have seen, I mean, I, I, maybe I don't remember. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen LeBron like post game when he's icing or getting dressed or whatever, he'll be watching a game on TV and predict what's going to happen. And I'm not talking about, Oh, uh, there's going to be a pick and roll. (laughs) Like he will be, (laughs) I, I remember, I don't remember the exact teams. I wish I could, but sitting in Cleveland post game and he's like putting on his socks and there's a game in the final seconds and there's a side out of bounds play. And LeBron like predicted the exact side out of bounds play this team was going to run. Yeah. Like he's saying, who's the guy going to be inbounding the ball. Who's going to be defending the inbounder who they're going to set the screen on. Who's going to get the initial inbounds pass, what the first option is and what they ultimately go with. And you know, that's, it's been cool covering him now for a while and then covering new teammates that he gets. Yes. And then seeing them recognize who he actually is versus who they have read about or seen or, you know, and actually processing how he processes things. D'Angelo Russell, yeah. who I think is, you know, not he, he marches by the beat of his own drummer a little bit, but I, I think he's a thinker. And That's one way to put it. Uh, it's been interesting to hear <laughs> him. Well, you said it, not me, but it's been interesting to hear him kind of recognize the guy he's playing with. And I've said this for years about Phil Jackson. I think part of Phil Jackson's success is he was interesting. And the NBA season is <laughs> can get monotonous True. and boring True. and uh, overwhelming. And just having an interesting person can keep people's attention. I think LeBron has that same kind of attribute. And one of the very interesting parts about him is – his ability to process very quickly the game of basketball and disseminate the message in a digestible manner. I once said a story about LeBron's incredible memory. Yeah, I enjoyed that story. And, and uh, I remember talking to Chris Bosch about it, and he remembered like you know one of the first weeks they hung out together. They were they were watching an NFL game, and like uh, like a guy broke up a pass or something, and he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that guy went to Colorado State or something." And Bosch was like, "Okay, all right, maybe you know the players." 
you know, maybe you even, you know, know some intricacies of the game, but he like, how do you know that a safety for the Indianapolis Colts went to Colorado state, didn't go to Texas, wasn't on national team. You know, he was like, Uh he's like, he's like, you know, he's blown away by, by the, by that kind of stuff. So that was a, a really key play in the game is, and uh, LeBron running that play. Not only that, it wasn't just Anthony Davis guarding the action to block clay. It was also LeBron guarding Wiggins. Yes. Uh, I also want to say one more thing before we go, because I don't think this has been talked about. If it has, I missed it. The Warriors almost pulled off an absolutely incredible moment there because after all those bad clay shots and Steph, you know, sort of trying like a hero shot over AD, which I thought was a bad decision, they get a jump ball. Clay like runs over and gets a jump ball in the corner. Uh, AD should have called timeout. I don't know why he didn't call timeout. He made a great play, but he just, they get a jump ball. And then the Warriors end up controlling the jump, the jump ball. And this is what drove me crazy. And I didn't get to really go into nuance with it on television, but the Warriors pulled the rabbit out of the hat there. They were cooked. Clay somehow gets a jump ball and then wins the jump ball over AD, right? And Steph is holding the ball on the ground. And Flings even it over his head out of bounds. Well, that's the thing. Even if, okay, look, it's, it's, it's easy for someone to say, call timeout, call timeout. Okay, yeah. Okay, even if he wasn't able to call timeout and like LeBron tied him up or whatever and there's another jump ball or whatever. You do not throw the ball behind your head over bounds. Out of bounds. <laughs> what are we doing here? I mean, I mean, how is that? The, I, I couldn't mean, like, believe uh, that. I couldn't believe that. So it was sad. It's silly. It was atypical. <laughs> and, and I got two minutes and 14 seconds. I'm going to tell you <laughs> one little nugget. One little nugget I got because we're talking about Warriors' unbelievable plays. <laughs> Draymond has the turnover, and I think many of us, if you're online today, you saw the clip of Dennis Schroeder oh giving God. him a look back, like <laughs> a look. That's what you just did? Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what you just did? Well, it was preceded. I don't know how many minutes prior to it. Let's say two or three, where Schroeder's trying to run a pick and roll with AD has a weird angle, tries to throw it behind the back to AD. And it goes out of bounds. And right where it went out of bounds is where Rich Paul sits on the baseline. And Draymond Green was defending the action. And Draymond Green screams demonstratively to Rich Paul, get this fool off the court, talking about Dennis Schroeder for making that play. (laughs) So revenge was swift, and he got him with that cunning look. You want to call me a fool? Well, who just turned it over in the biggest moment of the game? It was a great look, man. It was an incredible look. Um, all right. Thanks for staying up late with us. Thanks uh, for holding off the update, Dave. Thank you to Jackson for once again, staying up late as we cross the 2 a.m. hour. Thank you to Jamal for joining us. And uh, Jamal, I'll see you tomorrow in Philly, I guess, or later today. If he's booked his flight, Jamal sometimes just goes to the airport. <laughs> and and uh, Dave knows that like, my, I'm not happy. My travel stresses you out. <laughs> yeah, Dave knows my, I'm not happy. Unless doesn't mess with that. If you guys got right. to do laundry, my mom's place is available. I'll send you yeah, that. Listen, I'm able to talk to you up on that. We'll, we'll talk about that offline. All right. Listen, Thank you right. for listening to Hoop Collective. <laughs> we will talk to you guys with the Tims on Friday. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.